0: Welcome to the Like, Bite, and Share podcast, brought to you by Schweid Sons. Learn the secrets of food and hospitality marketing from some of the best professionals in the food business. Here are your co-hosts, Rev Ciancio from Schweid Sons and Brad Garoon from BurgerWeekly.com. Brad, Garoon, I'm excited for today's show. Rev
1: Ciancio, it's going to be a good one. I don't know if you remember this, but when we had Russell Jackson on the show a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago now, uh, he talked a bit about how he was working with a food incubator. And uh, so please go and listen to that episode. And that inspired us to get our guest for today's show. It did. So, Kim Vallejo is the product manager at Hot Bread Kitchen. She has a lot of great information to share. We'll wait till we get to the actual conversation to tell you guys about more about what a uh, food incubator is and what Hot Bread Kitchen Incubates does. On their website, they're called HBK Incubates. And I can't help but think about the heart, heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels, every time I hear that. <laughs> <laughs> that acronym, but I think I think I did a good job of not bringing it up one time during the show.
0: You did, and both ho- both hosts of the show at some point were obsessed with wrestling, so that was good on both of our parts. For sure. In the meantime, had any good burgers lately, Brad? I had a slew of good burgers last week. Uh, it was Boston Battle of the Burger in Boston with Boston Magazine. Uh, you know, of course, I, I walked around the pavilion at the event and ate many, many good burgers. I think I had thirteen actually. Um, but surrounding that, I also ate three burgers on my way up there, a burger before the event, and then a burger again after the event. You're an animal. And you know what my favorite was? No. I don't play favorites. Yep. I don't play favorites. <laughs> uh, but honest to God, when when they went to announce the, three, the top three positions at Boston Battle of the Burger, the three burgers that I would have picked were the three burgers that placed. So I was pretty excited about my uh, burger tasting ability. Uh, and the number one was Joe's American... Joe's American Grill uh, there's several locations in Massachusetts I think there's one in Florida there's definitely one in North Jersey uh, and I would suggest to our listeners to go check that burger out they, it's, they do a great job they've been number two the last three years they came in number one this year I was really excited it was an awesome burger I enjoyed I love when the best come in first it doesn't always happen Yeah, the other one was this little location called Wheelhouse. Uh, I'd never heard of them. I only knew them because of the event, and uh, I did stop by their booth to taste their burger, and they had uh, the guy did something really interesting. It was like a cheeseburger with onions or whatever, but then he had pickled cherry peppers on the burger, and I've had that before, Uh, but when I ate it, it really made a difference because all the other burgers I ate that night were just like savory salty umami bombs that were good and then you had this one that had like sweet pickled items on it it really like from an event perspective it made it stand out and i really really liked it
1: yeah that's smart um it's sort of gamble but it's smart to do it at an event like that umami bomb would also be the name of a great pro wrestling move
0: (laughs) speaking of wrestling moves brad have you wrestled any good burgers lately
1: (laughs) Yeah, I, uh, I finally made my way to Emmy Squared and had Le Big Mat at their burger bar downstairs. I went there because they have a pepperoni crust pizza. So if you can imagine pepperoni baked right into the crust of a buddy's pizza, that's essentially what this was. Fantastic. Le Big Mat, fantastic. My uh, my review of it's up on Burger Weekly now. Go check it out. But the short version is a lot of the same ingredients as the, Emily Bur- as the Emmy Burger at Emily, but a little bit different. The sauce is quite different, really changes things up a lot, and I think that Matt Highland should start bottling and selling the (laughs) Emmy sauce and the special sauce at Emmy Squared. I would buy it all the time.
0: God bless. I'm really into marketing and advertising. I know that sounds geeky, but do you know what my favorite commercial of all times is?
1: Well, this is a marketing and advertising podcast, so that's okay. What's your favorite commercial of all time?
0: Uh, It relates to the food you were just talking about. Do you ever remember Little Caesar's pepperoni bread?
1: Was it like crazy bread with pepperoni on it? Exactly. Yeah, that stuff was dope.
0: There was the kid. The commercial was the kid with the X-ray glasses, and he would always see in people's crazy bread, and he could see the pepperoni. Do you remember that commercial?
1: Yeah, but I think it may have only aired in Michigan.
0: Oh my God! We have to find that commercial and link in the notes if we can find it. It was amazing. All right,
1: we'll do it. In the meantime, here's Kim Vallejo to help us uh, learn more about incubators.
0: Kim Vallejo is the project manager for HBK Incubates, a shared commercial kitchen space and business support program for high growth food enterprises. Some fancy words right there. It's run by the award winning and socially conscious food business Hot Bread Kitchen. Uh, HBK Incubates allows entrepreneurs to uh, mitigate some startup risk and grow their food ventures in a community of like business owners. Uh, Kim's also an advisor at Food Future Inc. an accelerator for small but established food businesses. Uh, Kim, what is the number one benefit for an aspiring food business owner and working with an incubator?
2: Oh, That's a great question. Um, I think especially for those folks in New York City, the number one benefit is going to be the cost savings of not having to find your own production facility. Um, space is really limited here, and obviously to outfit a full kitchen, you're looking at a pretty significant investment, which for a lot of small food startups is just not realistic. Um, so for our, for our kind of area and demographic. That's probably the major benefit. I think the secondary but also pretty significant benefit is going to be the network. It's just being able to connect with other food entrepreneurs. It's a pretty lonely space to be an entrepreneur out there. And I think one of the things that we offer um, is, is just a nice community to learn from and grow with.
1: Correct me if I'm wrong, but before you worked at Hot Fred Kitchen, you were in the education nonprofit space. Is that correct?
2: That is correct. I was working for um, some rather large scale nonprofit, uh, international nonprofits working to improve access to education around the world.
1: How did you make that transition from education to food?
2: Well, food has always actually been a part of my life, probably longer than just about anything else I've done. Um, I just kind of kept it on the back burner since I was a child. Um, my grandfather was a fruit picker and later owned a bar and restaurant. Um, my grandmother was a farmer. My family is half Mexican, half Italian, so you can imagine that cooking and eating is very important to us, and my very first job, of course, was in a grocery store. I'm originally from upstate New York, so I was a Wegmans employee you know, at the age, age of 15 and have worked in food ever since to kind of pay my way through school, so I've been a waitress and a caterer and a line cook and a bartender and pretty much been in and out of the industry my whole life. And... After working for a while in nonprofits and international development, I wanted to change pace a little bit, work with entrepreneurship. I was really inspired by people who had the guts to start their own business. And I thought, you know, one area that I do have a lot of experience and expertise in is actually food, even though I've never pursued it professionally. So when I moved to New York a couple of years ago, I decided to take the leap and take some of the skills I had learned in business development and working for large international nonprofits. And apply that to helping people realize their dreams and grow their food startup.
1: So, before we get too deep into this, can you explain a bit about what a shared kitchen space is and, and what they provide to businesses?
2: So, shared kitchen spaces are, you know, pretty. It's a pretty literal translation from the name. It's a gigantic commercial kitchen space outfitted with a lot of cool equipment for industrial-sized production, but it doesn't belong to one particular business. So. Multiple businesses can rent time in the space. Um, perhaps there's storage involved. Most of them that I know of offer dry storage, cold storage, and freezer storage, you know, things that food producers would definitely need. But you're not going to be paying the overhead of renting the entire space yourself. You usually pay for a certain number of hours every month or kind of, um, you know, reserve shifts as, as you need them. So you're really just paying for the amount of time and space that you need.
0: Cool. Can you please share with our audience a little bit how Hot Bread Kitchen came to be and, and what it does it, specifically in that space?
2: Sure. So Hot Bread Kitchen is is a much larger organization than just our incubator program. Um, we got our start in about 2007 as really a, a commercial bakery facility that was operating a nonprofit training program for low-income and immigrant women. So our, our first couple of years, that was our flagship program and in the, in the bulk of the work that we were doing, we were catering to uh, women who had barriers, significant barriers to employment, um, perhaps some culinary experience in the home, but not a lot of professional experience outside of that. And we were bringing them into our bakery facility, training them in all the ins and outs of commercial bread production, um, and then doing some job placement as they neared the end of the program so that they could pursue pretty awesome careers in the culinary field, particularly in baking. Um, what we found after the first you know, couple of years of doing that is that some of our graduates didn't want to go work for other people's bakeries. Some of them had dreams of opening their you know, own catering business or starting their own bakery. And around the same time, there was just a lot of energy and interest in food happening. You know, 2011 is, is when the incubator program was started, so people were leaving their jobs and banking and finance and wanting to bake cookies for a living or do something a little bit more tangible with their lives. And so... All these kind of um, impetuses combined, and and we founded the Incubator Kitchen to be a, a home for these folks with food entrepreneurial dreams and a space where they could afford to get started in New York City.
1: That's really, really special. Can you help us a bit with the terminology? I think a lot of folks are just, maybe a lot of our listeners are just hearing the term incubator for the first time when it comes to food. Is there a difference between an incubator and an accelerator?
2: Yeah, I think there's a couple of terms in the space that get thrown around that can be a bit confusing for um, newcomers. One is, you know, shared kitchens and incubator kitchens are very different. So a shared kitchen is as simple as it sounds. It's a commercial space that multiple businesses are working out of. An incubator kitchen has the benefit of an additional level of support where you're not just going to have access to the kitchen space, but you're going to get a whole bunch of business development support alongside that. So for us, we have a small but mighty team of about four people that do lots of direct advising to your business. If you want to sit down and run through projections or pricing, um, we're here to help with that so that you can make really good business decisions and hopefully scale the business pretty quickly. Um, An Accelerator is similar to that. It's going to focus a lot more on your business growth and a lot more on sort of your business plan and your projections and your strategy for growth. Um, and maybe a little bit less so on the actual kitchen production piece of it. We're, we're pretty unique in that our incubator kitchen, the office literally sits inside the kitchen, so whether you're having trouble with your labeling or preparing for an inspection or your cake isn't rising and you don't know why, we're there to offer really hands-on support in either the culinary or business field.
0: This sounds like a, a we work for food, but with a lot more to <laughs>
2: <all>. <laughs> A little bit, yeah.
0: Are there a lot of incubator kitchens out there, or is this a relatively new idea?
2: It's a really new idea. You know, there's a couple of others here in the city that we know and work work alongside. Um, we're pretty spread out throughout the city, so depending on which borough you're in, there's probably one closer to you. Um, it's a growing trend, though. We probably get inquiries once a week from places in, you know, Nebraska or Idaho or Illinois where they want to create their own incubator kitchen. Um, so I think it's a growing trend, and you'll start to see a lot more of them. I know the major cities, San Francisco, Boston, D.C., You know, we've all got them already, and they're starting to really infiltrate into smaller smaller cities. I'm headed up to Syracuse later this week, and I know that they're putting one together on the university campus. So we're starting to see them all over the place.
0: What, what kind of business is right for a shared commercial kitchen space versus like an incubator kitchen?
2: That's a really good question. Um, I think folks who have kind of... Interesting or, or non-traditional business models would probably benefit most from an incubator kitchen. I think if you have like a tech component, or maybe you're doing some sort of on-demand, you know, delivery service. We have a group that does picnics on demand, which is really fun. So they have this interesting kind of tech piece to their work as well as the food that they're producing. Um, I think they would be uniquely. Served by incubator kitchens because they can sit down and talk about the actual production but also the business plan all in one place. I think if they were just in a shared kitchen, that might be a little bit more of a challenge. Um, But really, anybody I mean, we have people who are baking, you know, like Dominican bread puddings and selling at bodegas, and they're just as well served by having a space to come in and talk through business strategy and marketing plans. Um, and some of our bigger businesses who have really kind of complex delivery models and and are a little bit more high-tech.
1: What kind of questions should businesses be asking when they start negotiating with HBA incubates or another shared incubator space?
2: I think it really depends on the kind of business. Some some businesses are not as well-suited for these kinds of spaces because of the amount of government oversight that they're going to be dealing with. So, dairy producers in particular have a hard time working out of these spaces so if you're looking to make something like yogurt or lassi drink or ice cream you're gonna face a very different set of challenges than if you just wanna have a bakery that supplies coffee shops um, a lot of its related to food risk so the riskier your food product the probably more oversight you're gonna be subject to and the, and the harder it's gonna be for you to find a facility that meets your needs um, but if you are just kind of a general run-of-the-mill you know relatively innocuous product like say a baked good or even a caterer then you really do want to look at equipment and you want to get to know the team and you want to have a sense of what their experience is what they bring to the table and certainly the network I think um, in our kitchen in particular because we are are attached to the bakery side of Hot Bread Kitchen we've actually grown and built a food business and we've got a lot of awesome experts in-house that can speak to how we did that and share our experiences um, we've got a fantastic and supportive ne- network of board members, and I think having all these great people in our network is a is a real value-add and benefit for the businesses working out of our space.
1: Let's talk about that board for a second real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some serious food-heavy hitters <laughs> on your uh, board of directors.
2: There are, yeah.
1: How involved are they in the incubator, if at all?
2: I think they're really involved. I see a lot of them in and out of the facility you know multiple times a year. They do a great job of coming to visit not just the bakery but check in on the incubator and really ask some some hard-hitting questions about our strategy for growth and how we're managing internal processes as our program has grown quite a bit over the last year Um, and I think they're really involved and supportive and give great advice and have been willing to open up their networks and even participate in events themselves Um, We just had a very cool panel. We haven't done a lot of external, kind of, open to the public events to date as the incubator, but over the last year we've been really trying to work this into our programmatic offering, and we had Gail Simmons come and moderate a panel for us on the impact of media on a food business, which was perfect. You couldn't ask for anybody better just to facilitate a conversation on the subject, and it made for a really exciting event for us to host in our space.
0: Okay, so it is not just that we work for food; it's we work plus Shark Tank for
2: food. <laughs> <laughs> yes, correct. That's the better description, I think.
0: So Kim, I think you kind of just touched on this a little bit, but I want to expand on it. Um, some people may not even be aware, but that there are certain needs and requirements that the Department of Health and, and or the USDA uh, requires for businesses to commercially vend food. Can you talk about the dangers of like not adhering to these, and also how you know HBK can up with this?
2: Yeah, I think it's a really important thing to call out um, really early on for food entrepreneurs. It's something that, you know, people assume because they make food at home that if nothing, no one's ever gotten sick that it's kind of relatively easy to tackle the food business. But when you're serving at scale and you're making food at, at a large volume, you know, the risk is always going to be there. And you, the last thing you want is people getting sick. Um, there's actually more than there's, – there's four main overseeing bodies that we – kind of know are out there in the space, you know, you've got the New York City Department of Health, the New York State of Agriculture and Markets, as well as the USDA and the FDA. And so between all of these guys, you have to know where you fall, who, who you're subject to be inspected by, what the food safety requirements are for your product and for this overseeing body, what, what their expectations are. And we certainly help our businesses navigate that a lot. Um, even just knowing which permit to apply for, you don't need all of them. You really only need one. Um, you might have to register then with with a different body, but not necessarily be inspected by them. Um, and it can all be a bit confusing to read online because you're dealing with state and city and federal levels of of information on the internet, which is always overwhelming. So. We work really closely with the businesses to to understand how risky is their product, what are the plans that they're going to need in place if they're going to produce that, and to assess whether or not a shared kitchen is going to be a safe environment for their product. So people who are making, like, allergen-free items, people who want to go completely gluten-free or completely nut-free or serve people with um, pretty intense allergic reactions, might not be able to work in a traditional shared space because there's always the risk of cross-contamination. So thinking through all those pieces, um, depending on what the business is trying to do, is, is a role that we play pretty hands-on every day.
0: Is that kind of advisement, is that a part of the agreement in working in a space There is that like come along with the package?
2: It is for us, and I think every kitchen does it a little bit differently. We charge an annual membership fee, and that covers your access to the team as well as a a ton of facility support we offer receiving on behalf of our businesses. For example, Um, we do a lot of deep cleaning and maintenance of the facility and the equipment, and all of that's going to be covered by our our annual fee. Um, I know at other kitchens, you're able to kind of pay a little bit more to have the business advising and maybe a little less if you don't want to utilize that service. So I think depending on each kitchen, looks well, a little different.
1: So I think I saw on your website that 87% of your graduates go on to have businesses that are still running five years after they graduate. Is that right?
2: Yeah, so that fact comes from um, an industry report about the impact of incubator kitchens. It's not specific just to us. We haven't been in operation really long enough to have a, a firm sense of what that number looks like for us. We're hoping it's even higher, but uh, time will tell. We've only been in our new space for a year, and before that we were just a few few years um, in, in the old space.
1: Given those those graduates who moved on in the few years that you've been doing this, um, I've got a two-parter for you here. Uh, okay. One, uh, when's the right time for someone to move on past uh, the shared kitchen space? And then do most of your graduates go on to open brick-and-mortar shops or are they selling in grocery stores or on or using e-commerce? What's, what's uh, typically the graduate look like?
2: Yeah, so um, graduates are typically with us one to three years. I think on average a business spends about 2.2 years in our program, but it really varies uh, the amount of time you'll spend with us depending on what kind of food you're making. So we've had caterers with us since the very beginning, you know, five years and looking to stick around for a number more because they're only doing special events here and there and they don't want the overhead of having their own space but certainly folks who want to open bakeries or produce, you know, bitters and mass are going to have to find a better option for them at some point, and it's usually around that, that two-year mark. Um, some go to open their own brick and mortar. Certainly we've got, you know, some chocolatiers and some bakers that are out there in, in New York with their own space up and running, but a lot of other folks are looking to go into some sort of co-packing facility. So if you're making any sort of packaged food, um, bottled beverage, bottled item, co probably going to be the way to go, and I know we've helped kind of negotiate agreements with folks as they look to, to move on to that next step.
0: Well, this is all very important because I know Brad is trying to work on a cheeseburger craft beer, but we can cover that later. <laughs> uh, mm. you're,
1: just, you're just making things up, but right? sounds, <laughs> sounds delicious.
0: Well, in case somebody does, we could say we did it here first. Uh, Kim, let's talk pretty specific here about Hot Bread Kitchen for a second. Mm -hmm. Um, What what kind of business is better off uh, utilizing a short-term rental of your space?
2: Oh, good question. So the short-term rental is something we don't really offer to startups. It's used to to add a little bit of diversity and flexibility to our space. Um, Basically, we serve established businesses who need additional space for a short period of time. So what this typically looks like is a restaurant in the city that might be going through some renovations and they're going to be closed for a period of time, but they want to keep some, some staff on to do recipe testing or perhaps train new sous chefs or something like that. They'll need a kitchen space to do that, so they could come rent you know for a couple of weeks or even just a couple of days, rent some, some time with us to get that done. Um, The other exception that we usually make for short-term rentals is folks who are doing huge festivals. You know, the location of where we are in Harlem makes it really easy for folks doing Governor's Ball or Panorama Music Festival. They often have to, you know, on the turn of a dime, serve 30,000 people, where their restaurant might not have a kitchen that is quite equipped to take that on. Or they're going to be open for dinner service while the festival's going on, so they really need to find some additional space to crank out that volume of food. Um our space works really well for that so it's typically established businesses they will have to of course um, you know have their own insurance and all that good stuff but we can usually facilitate them for short term
0: what about filming a tv show could that be done there too
2: i don't see why not as long as we have proper licenses and insurance i could totally see that happening out of our space
0: okay well brad is working on this tv show about a craft beer that tastes like cheeseburgers
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, <wonderful. laughs>
0: All right, so a good question here, what kind of business is better off utilizing your entrepreneurial assistance program?
2: Good question. So the entrepreneurial assistance program, it's not exclusive to us. It is a, state, a statewide program. There's different hubs around the state that administer business support services for free, which is awesome. Um, we're really excited to be an EAP hub, it's called, for the first year. We're just wrapping up our first year as a, as a service provider for them. And basically what that means is if you're a business who's a little bit pre-operational, maybe you don't have a history of sales yet, um, you're really trying to finalize your business plan and ensure that your pricing and projections look accurate or you're just preparing to to bring on some partners or investors. And so you've got a lot of stuff on paper about the business, but you're not 100% confident in how great it is. Um, Use our services for that. So we have an, uh, an assigned business advisor who's a member of our team and what he can do is sit down with folks for, I think we supply up to about 10 free hours of advice and go over things with you, ask questions, help you kind of figure out what your next steps are to take something to the next level and really firm that up so you're ready to, to hit the ground running once you're in a space.
1: So you mentioned earlier that you get about one inquiry a week for businesses looking to use your space and your services. Are you actively recruiting businesses at all?
2: Oh, we get one inquiry a week for, what, what was that for? Not, that's definitely not true. We get lots of inquiries every week. We've got a pipeline of uh, probably about five or 600 people who, who are interested in the space right now. Um, they're all at various stages of, of startup. We probably get an inquiry a week from somebody outside of the city who's interested in learning how an incubator runs. Um, but in terms of businesses wanting to get started, we're fielding inquiries all day, every day. I haven't even had much time to do outreach or marketing. Um, we did just redo our website, and I think that helps a lot. And we are, as an organization, really active on social media, and we have a great, um, you know, following of, of subscribers to our newsletters and general email list. So we've really just kind of used those smaller channels to to reach people, but we're still seeing, you know, a huge spike in interest, and I think it's grown. Almost, almost 100% quarter on quarter for the last year that I've been here. So lots of interest.
1: That's wild success. And I apologize for being a bad listener. No, it's okay. <laughs> you guys offer marketing and acquisition support to your uh, to businesses that use your services. What does that look like in practice?
2: That's a really cool piece of what we're able to offer. So I mentioned this great network that we have, um, in part because of being attached to a really killer food business ourselves. So we have um, access to a lot of people who have been supportive of our breads and our bakery um, folks who have been buyers or helped um, you know connect us to rather large sales opportunities we can take some of that experience and help our, our incubating businesses um, prepare to navigate those waters prepare for the kind of questions that Whole Foods is going to ask when you first get a meeting with them or um, you know set up a, a, a negotiation for providing, a wholesale price if you haven't done wholesaling before. So we're able to bring a lot of that insight into the kitchen. Um, we are also able to tap into that network on behalf of our businesses when they get to a point where they're really ready to take that step and to land a large, a large account or get into the Whole Foods. We can, you know, call call folks within our network who who, are, who can help facilitate those conversations, make introductions, and again help people prepare for those meetings so that they've got a good shot.
0: So we, we, you kind of touched on this earlier, but I want to go a, a level deeper. Can you talk about why it's important that HBK Incubates makes itself accessible to low-income members?
2: Absolutely. I think, you know, just the real estate prices in New York alone make it so, so hard for anybody who doesn't have a significant investment or savings to, to start a food business. Um, but it can be a real path to economic empowerment, and, you know, lots of people – in low-income neighborhoods, are already food entrepreneurs. They're just not doing it legally. They're making food out of their homes, or perhaps, you know, selling food on on the street without the proper license, um, and that can lead to them incurring huge fines, and it can be really financially disruptive to them and their dreams of owning a business. So, knowing that we um, you know, we have the flexibility to, to solicit some grant funding as a nonprofit. We have individual donors, corporate donors who really want to make our services available to those low income food entrepreneurs. And so we're proud to have, you know, thirty percent plus of our members receiving subsidized rates, which is essentially 50% off of almost every all of our services so it's really affordable for just about anybody to get started
0: here. Now you, you kind of just mentioned this and said that a lot of those businesses maybe English isn't their native language. Do you have some sort of staff or on board to help navigate that for, uh, for when that occurs?
2: We do. Um, half of our staff can offer bilingual support in Spanish and English, um, just within the incubates team. So I mentioned our, our small team, but we do have some language ability there. Uh, we also have, because our bakery program is serving, for the most part, you know, low-income immigrant women. There's a, a lot of the same language issues within our bakery program, so we do have an ESL support instructor on staff, which um, she's always been really delightful at sharing her services with us when we need them.
1: What kind of support does HBK Incubates offer to alumni?
2: That's a really kind of new space for us. I think um, we've, we've been a typically a much smaller team. I mentioned this last year has been a wild ride because we've been growing a lot. We moved into a new space. We, we got a, a fairly new team and one of the things that we're looking to pump up over the next year is our engagement and support for alumni. So just this year, you know, that panel that I mentioned with Gail Simmons, that was, that was specifically to highlight the work of some of our alumni. So we brought them together to talk about their experience, those who'd been on Shark Tank or Top Chef, um, and then to use that to invite our other alumni to come network directly and interact with these people that they might not have crossed paths within the kitchen, but certainly should know now that they're in our network Um, and I think we're open to to helping our alumni answer any questions they have moving forward so whether it's you know reviewing a lease agreement to make sure that things look legit or again opening up our network to make kind of access to market introductions that those are things that we can really easily plug in for our our alumni and we hope to develop even more programming as, as time goes on.
0: This all sounds pretty awesome Kim um, I think I have, after all this knowledge that we gained today, a very, very important question. All right. With all this you know, crazy food from all over the place and different origins and different types, what is lunchtime like at Hot Bread Kitchen?
2: <laughs> lunchtime, well, it really depends on uh, the day. Um, sometimes I, I you know, do my part for the neighborhood and go out and eat some great local tacos or, or pizza there in East Harlem. There's a lot of great places to visit. And sometimes I get really lucky, and my lovely businesses in the kitchen take really good care of me, Um, even if it means I'm eating cheesecake for lunch. That's really not such a bad thing sometimes. So (laughs) depending on the day, it it can range um, everything from lovely catered events to, you know, quick bites and snacks on the go. Well,
1: I had Kit Kats and Oreos for lunch, so you're one up on me already.
2: All right. You'd fit Um, right in.
1: (laughs) Fantastic. Well, Well, this has been a great conversation about a topic I think our listeners really don't get a chance to engage with a lot but we're not letting you get out of here without answering the questions. We have all of our guests answer, starting with, what was your favorite burger from
2: childhood? From childhood? Oh, goodness. So you probably won't like this answer, but I was a vegetarian for much of my childhood, so I didn't eat a lot of burgers growing up. However, after college, I moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where I lived for a number of years, and the first burger that I ever fell in love with was the Tesaro's Burger. I don't know if you've ever been to Pittsburgh, but there's a really old-school flame grilled burger spot to sorrows and I think it's in Bloomfield that just cranks out a million killer burgers a night and that was the first first burger experience I remember falling in love with.
0: I would like to eat a million killer burgers in a night.
2: Yeah they're good. <laughs> Get sounds to like Pittsburgh.
0: A, sounds like a trip to Pittsburgh. <laughs> Alright so since you didn't eat a lot of burgers as a kid and by the way you're not the first person to say that on the show so that's okay uh, what was the last great burger you've eaten?
2: Last great burger. Okay, so I'm a Brooklyn girl. I live in Bed-Stuy, and there's a brand-new bar up the street from my house called Captain Dan's that is, I can't stay away. I crave their burger and probably have it once a week, which I shouldn't admit to, but it's pretty great.
1: All right, we're going to make a trip. All right. Last question for you. What is the one piece of advice you'd give to someone looking to get into a shared kitchen space?
2: The best advice that I can give to somebody looking to get into a shared space is to really do your homework on what your product is and, and what safety requirements are around it. I think the hardest thing to, to tell yourself after you've started is like how to, how to safeguard your business. I think that should always be – If you're, we, we say at Hop Right, if you're in the food business, you're really in the food safety business because it doesn't matter how delicious the cookies are. If there's any risk involved, um, it's going to take your business down and be really messy waters for you to navigate. So do your homework, get to know your product, make sure you're handling it safely, because then you can really run without any other hesitations. Well,
0: they say safety is job number one. It is. It is. Hi, Kim. This has been a re- really great conversation. Thanks for spending the time to uh, educate our audience today on, on shared kitchens, incubator kitchens, and hot bread kitchen. Uh, where can people find out more about you and also more about Hot Bread Kitchen?
2: Um, find out more about Hot Bread Kitchen first by going online. We do have sort of a separate little web portal for Incubate so you can read all about our program. And if you're interested, there's a little form there you can fill out to get added to our, our um, pipeline or our email list so I can start communicating and get you in the kitchen if you're interested in touring the space. Um, if you want to read more about me, I'm on Instagram and LinkedIn, so you can find me on either of those places. Sorry for in advance for all the food photos. I post a lot of food photos.
0: I think people on the show <laughs> are used to that from the hosts.
2: Yeah. Okay, good.
0: Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Like, Bite, and Share. We hope you found today's interview insightful. If you didn't get a chance to write down everything, no worries. We take the show notes for you. Go to schweidandsons.com slash podcast to find them. If you enjoy the show, we ask for one favor, and that's please give us a rating in iTunes. That helps us to spread the word to others who might find this valuable like you do. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a future episode featuring helpful tips from other professionals in the food marketing
1: business. Stay hungry.